Hello, one and all, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Law Student Podcast. My name is Dean, and this week we'll be talking about what life is like being a commercial and litigation lawyer. And to that tune, I'm very extremely honoured to be joined by James James Dapachi, excuse me, um, current special counsel at Chamberlain's down there at Sydney and producer of the Coffee and the Case Notes series. Welcome, James. Oh, Dean, thanks for thanks for having me. Like live live from my spare room, you know, no expense spared. Um, definitely here. Looking uh, looking forward to a chat. It's going to be good. Yeah, we got a huge budget here at Gulls. We just <laughs> threw all of our money possible at it. Oh, good, um, good, good, good. I was wondering what all this merch in here was for. And yeah, now I understand. So it's good. Yeah, we've just been sending it down all week, straight down the M1. <laughs> Um, but James, if you could be so kind, um, could you perhaps give our listeners a quick overview about yourself for those who don't already? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a um, what's called a corporate and commercial litigator, and so if I can just break that down, corporate means um, literally dealing with issues relating to companies. So often directors, shareholders, and officers of companies. Commercial sort of means business, and it sort of means a lot of different kinds of contracts. So when I say corporate and commercial, it means I sort of deal with uh, companies, directors, shareholders, and contracts, deals, and commercial interactions. And when I say litigation, what that really means is court work. So court disputes, uh, times when we've got to go be in front of a judge, uh, or times when we've got to threaten to go uh, and jump before a judge. So when I say I'm a corporate and commercial litigator, it's those sort of uh, business dealings gone wrong, um, essentially, is, um, is my area of work. And um, I think I think the second half of the introduction leans into your kindness there, Dean, um, to drum up work. Essentially, um, I use the internet uh, to uh, market myself or to or to brand myself, as I believe the term uh, is meant to be uh, used. I'm using a project called Coffee and a Case Note, where. Uh, I used to say weekly-ish, but let's say once or twice a month, <laughs> I will uh, sit down in a coffee shop, I'll set up my phone, and I'll record a video of me, you know, staring down the barrel and trying to summarize a recent, you know, fairly complex case, but hopefully do it in an approachable way. Then I share that material around the internet and hopefully help some people and hopefully increase the chances that I'll be referred work in future. And so corporate commercial litigator by day, uh, very bad video edit, video editor by night is essentially the uh, the distinction, Dean. That's that's essentially myself. Just flip the litigator and put in <laughs> law student. I think at the moment. Excellent. Um, well, you've given yourself a great overview there. Sort of, I guess I'd say broad spectrum of what you do. But I guess it might be interesting for our listeners to know what you do, sort of day to day. I guess mm. to rephrase the question, what does you know? the roles, the average roles in your day entail? Yep. Um, so I'm a solicitor rather than a barrister. So um, if we take the cliche from the castle, which is surprisingly useful and, you know, <laughs> eight to eight and a half out of ten accurate, um, there's one type of court lawyer who is on their feet wearing a wig and saying impressive things, standing at a lectern. That sort of lawyer is called a barrister. Uh, and there is one sort of court lawyer who is sitting down next to that person standing up who might be scribbling notes madly or dealing with a big pack of documents or doing a quick bit of research on the computer or whatever it might be. And I'm the sort of lawyer who is sitting down. I'm what's called a solicitor. So when I'm in court, 
it's very rare, well, it's somewhat rare that I'll be on on my feet in the in the literal sense, and it's more likely that I'll be seated um, doing that sort of research work, or in the alternative, um, we'll be preparing for that sort of work, or threatening to do that sort of work, or dealing with the aftermath of that sort of work. So thematically, that's what I'm up to. Um, the actual real nuts and bolts of the day is a lot like a lot of jobs. Uh, there's a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, a lot of phone calls. So to really just dive into the minutiae of my day, Dean, I'm sort of two days in the office, three days from home is sort of how my rhythm's working at the moment. Um, and when I go into the city, I wake up reasonably early, about 10 to 5, and because I commute quite a long distance, um, I'm at the train station uh, a little bit after that. Then I'm in the city around about seven or quarter past seven or so. And because I commute quite a distance, I try to be gone by four, four fifteen, uh, so that then I'm home um, for um, time with my family in the evening. And then after after they're in bed, if there's more work that needs to be caught up, we log back in at sort of nine thirty ten. And so that that office time again. It feels really strange to go, oh, yeah, I answer a few emails and go to a few meetings, but it is essentially that. Um, I'd say I'd be physically in court, you know, pre-COVID days, probably only mm, between two and six times a month. So it actually wouldn't be um, a massive, massive part of my day, but often preparing for it or dealing with the aftermath of it or assisting another member of the team who might be senior or junior to me um, going off and getting ready um, to go uh, was very much part of it. So, yeah, emails, meetings, a couple of train trips uh, is um, is how the day in the office looks. And then, look, the working from home days are reasonably similar, frankly. Uh, emails, phone calls. Uh, there is uh, the elastic waisted trousers that I'm delighted to say I'm wearing now, and the very comfortable fleece. So the uh, the out the outfit changes, but the work almost doesn't. Um, especially when we have hearings run by Microsoft Teams. Um, I had a mediation today that was of some complexity, and uh, everyone. Uh, is sitting there pretending to be in an office essentially when they're in their spare bedroom and that's just, you know, that's just the life we lead uh, at the moment. But there's also, look, a lot of empathy as well. You know, a dog will bark, a child will cry and and, and that's life. Um, and what I've been pleased by and surprised by, sorry, sorry to get distracted on this point, Dean, it's just on my mind. Um, but what I've been pleased and surprised by is the amount of empathy in the profession. So, you know, the dog barks, the phone drops out, you don't have access to a printer, you know, people understand. And it's not the uh, cutthroat opportunistic profession that it occasionally looks like at its worst. Um, to an extent, um, the challenge of COVID is showing some of the huge strengths of the profession. And it really brings me a lot of pleasure and joy um, to see that happen. Yeah. Well, you've actually touched on quite a few things. I, I wouldn't mind unpacking there. I think, last of all, I wouldn't mind touching on your last point there. Obviously, COVID in a very practical manner and sort of as well as theological, I guess you'd say, matter has just changed the profession on its head. Uh, coming from a law student's perspective, so mm. I'll give that a disclaimer. Um, what do you see post-COVID, you know, coming out of this, even though we're mm. in 2021 now, what do you think will stick and what do you think might go by the wayside? I I don't know. So I'll stay with the present and then move to speculation. To me, Dean, the great strength of COVID is that empathy point 
and is for quote quote senior practitioners like me um, to be able to run our practice in our board shorts or, or, or whatever whatever little joke you want to make about it. That's a huge privilege. And the risk for the profession is young lawyers coming up. The way I learned law was standing over the shoulders, literally, of good lawyers, sitting in the office with good lawyers while they made phone calls, um, receiving a piece of paper with red ink all over it that had helped me understand what good lawyers like to change. And what I think is really at risk is a, a generation of mentorship that I, that I can't really, you know... It doesn't cause me anxiety, but I think about it a lot of how do you mentor juniors coming through? If I CC someone new to an email and go, hey, just you know, do emails like I do them, well, that's fine if I'm 90 kilometers away and I've ignored their last three calls because I'm doing other quote, quote, more important things. Well, how does someone learn um, what to do on the job in that circumstance. Because, Dean, as many of your guests will tell you, and, and I'm, I'm sure you already know this, the difference between getting a really getting an HD um, in advanced equity in your final year and knowing what to do when you've got a grumpy client yelling at you, um, you know, can feel like two just completely different things. And the only way you learn to square that circle is being on the job. And so I have the huge privilege of having been physically around people I admired and watching them do it. Well, that's nice for me. Um, but the question of how do we pass that on, I think, is a real live and active one that I'm not sure I'm grappling with very well at the moment. And I, you know, and I query whether many other um, whether many other firms are as well. And I don't say that in a negative way. I, gen- I genuinely don't know. Um, and so I think it's something for us to uh, think carefully about. And so, and so sorry, and then to the future. Um, <laughs> sorry, you, you ask good questions, Dean, and I'm, and I'm sorry to politician-style veer off into just talking about what I want to talk about. <laughs> um, the future, I think... M- m- might slash must incorporate some of the more electronic ways of doing things, things like executing documents um, or things like directions lists before judges where there are 80 different cases coming before a judge, each of which is very procedural. Well, if you're paying me for an hour or two hours of my time to go and do three minutes of advocacy, that's fine for me. But if I can do that same advocacy sitting in my office, just, just waiting essentially um, on hold, as it look not literally on hold, but essentially just, just in a queue as the judge works through all these matters, then that's certainly a win for clients. Um, it's probably a win for practitioners. I suspect it may be a win for judges. And so I think changes like that are the sorts that I think will be reflected upon carefully. So I think that Pandora's box has been opened in respect of some things and it may be physical court hearings for procedural stuff may be something that is examined into the future but I'm now guessing wildly based on my own personal preference but we'll see what about the the non-court days I guess you'd say for that you've sort of touched on you know that in-person mentoring is really important do you, you know, you see some reports on news websites that say, you know, law firms are just going to get rid of the office, everyone's going to go online. Do you think 
for the 99% of, you know, your mainstream big national law firms. Do you see mm. that happening? I don't know. Um, I wouldn't like to own an office building at the moment and be heavily leveraged. Um, I think the physical office has its part to play. Um, my suspicion is that we will not get back to exactly the same level of physical office take-up that we had beforehand, but that we will go close-ish. So if beforehand was 100%, just to, as a thought exercise, my firm suspicion is we get back to 75, 80 pretty quickly and that we end up around 85, 90, but with very good remote infrastructure, uh, even better than we had before. And so... I think there'll be a genuine but perhaps not massive shift to remote work, um, more so than we've seen previously uh, and more so than we would have seen had COVID not uh, intervened as it did. Yeah, so to go back to that first fantastic answer you gave us, um, you talked about, you know, obviously yourself being a solicitor as opposed to a barrister or someone at the bar. For you personally, in your career personally, why do you think one suits you more than the other, let's say? Mm. Um, it's a question I've thought a lot about um, and I'm often, well, so this, this is a nice, well, this isn't really a humble brag, it's a straight up brag. Um, uh, I am asked with um, very generous and kind regularity whether I would be interested in going to the bar or whether it's something I'd entertain. Uh, um, and the reason for that is that there's a bit of a cliche that if you are a reasonably good litigation solicitor, and I like to think of myself as reasonably good, um, and if you are reasonably good on your feet um, doing, doing the talking bit, as I like to think I am, um, then there's often a question of, well, um, that is a skill set that is more associated, if we go back to the castle, with the lawyer who wears the wig and stands at the lectern as opposed to the lawyer who sits at the table scribbling the notes. And, and it's a generous question. It's one that I, I take as a high compliment and sometimes barristers ask and I take that as a particularly high compliment and I take it as a compliment from you, Dean. So, so thank you. Um, my reason for not going is sort of twofold and both of them are quite mercantile, commercial, calculated reasons. Um, Reason one is um, that my entire practice would rely solely on my brain and my own efforts, which is to say, if I don't get out of bed on Monday, I don't make any money, <coughs> which is to say that I am um, what um, this guy, Seth, Seth Godin, who I find a very, a very interesting thinker about things, would refer to as a freelancer, right? I exchange my time for money. And I might be a very senior tax barrister who charges $20,000 for a day's work. That's fine. Um, if I feel like going on holiday next week, that's hundred grand down the toilet. And so my um, life, whether that's hundred grand I would have given to charity, whether it's hundred grand I would have used to, uh, used to fund a, a, a DV victims advocacy group, whether I would have spent it on a stupid sports car, regardless of all that, it is... Um, such a fine calculus. And what it would mean is that when I got a call from my favorite instructing solicitor at 8.30 a.m. on a Sunday, I'm never going to ignore it because I know that uh, for me, a senior tax barrister charging 20 grand a day, I'm not quite a dime a dozen, 
but I'm 20 grand a dozen and there are plenty of other people around who charge 18 grand, um, you know, to do, to do what I'd like to do. And so it would be for my personality type living at a hum of anxiety that I just don't really have the courage to dive and jump into. So that, um, courage element and I, and I don't want to insult myself by saying I'm um, I'm a scaredy cat but the, there is a scaredy cat element that um, I am not excited to live a life where um, every um, scrap of impact I have for my clients is solely based on my own brain and my own brain is the bottleneck and if we then compare that to the solicitor's life um, there is space for more of what Seth Godin would refer to as entrepreneurship. So um, barristers, as you would know, Dean, and as some people know, sorry, some people listening would know, are not able to form a law firm. They're not able to group together into one entity. They can be a part of chambers, but they're all sole practitioners, and it's just that one person in it. Whereas if you're in a law firm, you're able to build a team, you're able to have partners, whether they're called partners or not, you know, the people you're in business with, uh, and you're able to take advantage of economies of scale that allow you to have great impact for your clients, hopefully great, great impact for the improvement of society and the improvement of the environment and, and anything else that, that appeals to you. But And that impact will not be purely reliant on whether or not you, you know, avoid suffering a mental illness or do not find yourself, you know, um, you know, heaven forbid, having to go through a period of grief in your life or, or, or whatever it might be, there is that degree of leverage in uh, practicing as a solicitor that appeals to me and there is that degree of freelancing about practicing as a barrister that I think my personality is very poorly adapted to. And so that's my short reason and I think, yeah, I think I stand. I think I stand by them, Dean. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy so far. Call me in 15 years and tell me if it's still 20 grand a day, and uh, it might be a different chat. But uh, look, for the moment, we'll see. Maybe when you're a bit close to retirement, go for a cash grab for 10 years <laughs> or something. I think I need to change practice areas. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how we go. <laughs> um, we'll change speed a bit. And thank you for mm. that. That was a very honest answer, which I really appreciate. I think all of our listeners would as well. Um, to change speed a bit, obviously you do Coffee in the Case, don't And I've been watching that for quite some time now. I'm a huge thank fan. I'd love to know, especially from your perspective doing that, what are your what's your view on social media being used by, say, young professionals, even those in still in law school? And mm. What's your view on if it can and how does it sort of add value to them? Uh, I think they should use it if they like it and shouldn't if they don't is the broad position. Um, I think you might have put that question to me in an email, Dean, and I didn't give it as much reflection as I should have. I think that's really interesting. So, sorry, we're taking a hypothetical experienced law student or, or, or very newly minted lawyer and the question is, should they should should they be using or, or what will they get from oh this is very interesting well let's start with should um i'm not big on shoulds so they should do what they want to do um and then the question is well how could that use be then um entwined with the approach they want to take in their professional career and i think look step one you know 
um, the behaviors on your Facebooks and Instagram and Instagrams and TikToks that were very, very funny to you as a drunk 19 year old are probably less funny to the recruiter trying to find you a job when you're 24. So, you know, there's a bit of common sense. If you've got a personal account, uh, use it. And then if you've got one that you're happy for someone to fossick through, I'd encourage you to lean into that. I think, I think that's pretty obvious to anyone listening. Um, but I think the extension beyond that is that, um, networking is such a buzzwordy phrase and it makes us all think of wandering around a room with people we don't know drinking shit wine and you know staring at name tags and it's you you know I think that's unfair um, because I think every single person at one of those gatherings feels the same way of like oh this is a bit strange and I don't like going to events like those and so I don't and so if you are a person who sees value in networking, sees value in knowing people and having people know you, and you also don't particularly like going to things like that, then to take the you know the um, number one example of LinkedIn, the idea of knowing a few people on LinkedIn is a vastly superior idea to just sitting at home and doing nothing. Because what a network, even if it's just a network of people whose statuses you like on LinkedIn does for you is it maintains existing relationships. So firstly, Dean, the big matter that's going to make your career in 11 years is probably going to get referred to you by one of your mates uh, who's currently studying with you and she's gone off to be an accountant and her firm has a huge matter come in and she knows, I've got to speak to Dean about this one. And you, you know you don't know which mate it is or when it's coming or whatever, but the maintenance of those relationships is is itself fabulously valuable. But then, in addition to that, what you can find is that you find yourself feeling more comfortable and more at home in the profession because you start seeing your feed fill up with you know lawyers if you're if you're a legal person looking to go into law talking about law stuff and you start to become familiar with how lawyers talk formally about when new laws come out or how lawyers joke around when there's a silly joke to be made or what's you know lawyers care about projecting into the marketplace and what it gives you as a law student is that feeling of just a little bit of an insight just a little bit of mastery just a little bit more comfort where your first job interview might be 18 months away But if you sort of know the name of three or four firms and you sort of understand that COVID caused a mess around with insolvency laws and you sort of know that there's a very boring meme about, you know, wearing the board shorts, uh, you know, and then you're wearing a suit and tie, you you know, during remote hearings, it's those tiny, tiny little bits of knowledge that can make you just feel a whisper more at ease in the profession you're going into because it's a scary place and no one really teaches you about it. It's just very much something you dive into. And even if you have well-meaning mentors and listen to great podcasts, as anyone listening to this podcast certainly does, there's, there's still that element of experiencing it. And it's always scary. And it will be for you and was for me and will be for everyone. And so if you can give yourself that tiniest head start of, how do people talk about judges when they're speaking formally? And then how do they speak about judges when they're speaking casually? And why do people use this word in relation to this issue? And 
why are all these lawyers talking about accountants all the time or, or whatever it is, even if you're forming little questions in your head, it'll give you an opportunity to um, acquaint yourself. And so again, if I'm in, if I'm a third year law student and I'm thinking of maybe entering the profession, then I think using social media is a good idea. Uh, I think choosing my favorite social media, I might be a Pinterest person and going onto Pinterest and following some law content on there and looking at some law, I don't know how Pinterest works, looking at some law boards or, or whatever you do on Pinterest and checking it out is a good idea because what you will do is use a medium you like if you're a Pinterest person and you'll see how people communicate in your favored um, area, your sort of uh, favorite venue. You'll see our lawyers talk there. And then similarly, oh, look, I think LinkedIn's a different beast because I think LinkedIn has a tiny bit of should about it. I think, I think there's value in just putting up a current photo that looks like you, just making sure you're making friends with everyone in your family so you don't have nine connections you actually have 87 connections you know like just to just to give yourself the tiniest whisper of confidence um that's that's a worthwhile thing to do even if you don't come back to that account for 18 months i think it's still worth just getting your toe in and getting oriented so broadly speaking use whatever network you want do it however you want but avoid that uh, dodgy older account but specifically i think it's worth taking a proper look at linkedin soonish and there's no harm in just getting it started, uh, moving off zero connections and onto 12 connections and then onto 27 and then onto 51 <laughs> as soon as you can manage it and then marching on from there. Mm. I really like the way you sat, you frame that. I think, I think on LinkedIn, obviously, once another disclaimer, you know, this is coming from me, but I think on yeah. LinkedIn it's very obvious when people are on LinkedIn to say, they, they've just graduated and they want a job and they will, they're just using LinkedIn to get a job and they'll message a hundred people. Do you have any jobs for law student, law graduates? Mm. And I think if that's what I'd like to know, if you think, yeah. if that's what, if that's what you're going into it to do, what yeah. your result will be. Um, I think your result will be good if you're organized about it. Right. So let's do a hypothetical. So we've got our third-year student who wants a job from me, arguably, right? And they form a view that I'm someone who they're interested in um, talking to about a job. And let's say um, I'm not interested in hiring a third-year at Griffith University in 2021 because we don't have offices up near you guys. Um, but nonetheless, this person has connected with me and sent me a message way back in 2021 saying, G'day, James. Heard you on the, on the Gulls podcast. Um, uh, funny jokes with Dean. Anyways, have a good day, mate. Cheers. Bye. Well, when that person applies for a job when we open our Brisbane office in 2024 or whatever it is, and they go, oh, g'day, James. I'd love it if you could, you know, just give me, like, you know, just, just put, my, put my name at the top of the list. I know you're sniffing around for grads in the Brisbane office. Well, my options are, um, like, who the fuck are you, which is one potential response. But frankly, if I go back into my message chain and I see that you're someone who's been kind enough to take the time out of their day, you know, to just send a nice message when there's nothing in it for them, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't offering jobs in 2021. Like I was, I'm, I'm no, I am irrelevant to anyone listening to this podcast pretty much in 2021, but they've taken the time out of their day just to send a nice message. Well, in 2024, that's sitting there in my inbox. 
and there's any number of analogies to that. So I think there's an element of if you want to leverage LinkedIn to get jobs, I think it's a pretty good place so long as you're thinking strategically. Um, I get a lot of messages from people like, hey, have you got a job? And my response isn't quite, who the fuck are you? But it's, you know, it's, it's just leaving them on red. But if you wanted to ask me for a job in 2021, a smart thing to do in 2019 would have been to say, hey, what's going on? And then in 2020 to say, hey, what's going on? And for us to have a quick chat. And then for you then to be say, hey, James, yeah, man, gosh, time flies, hey? Anyway, you know, and then, you know, sitting in front of my face, I'm looking at our, you know, even if I've forgotten who you are, I'm, I can just look at my relationship. Oh, we've had some nice chats over the years. And then when, you know, my you know, partner of my firm, sorry, director of my firm, who's, you know, a property lawyer says, Hey, do you know Julie Jones? She's saying you guys are mates. I go, well, Julie's not a mate, but you know, I've chatted to her. She seems pretty switched on, seems interested. You should bring her in for a chat. And so if you're playing the long game and are respectful of the time of people you're dealing with, I think it can be fantastic. Um, and that's sort of, I guess, a strong argument for the do it today sort of position, because if you're third year and you want to start hustling for jobs after you graduate, well, the best people to hustle are the people you were nice to two years ago <laughs> who've got a written record of you being nice to them. Um, and so I, I don't 100% agree that it's tacky or transactional or um, bad form to go on sniffing around jobs, but I do think it's a waste of time if you're not being strategic about it. And I, and I find it, look, it's irritating to open messages and then just be like, oh, okay, this is just someone who wants something from me and I don't even, know, like, you know, and I don't even have any context for this request. They might be the nicest person in the world, but I, I don't, like, I don't know. This is just sucking time out of my day. And now I find myself in a message chain that I've got to say, oh, thanks so much. Um, the smarter thing to do would be to have a message, you know, for, to open your time machine back to 2019 and have a nice chat with me for me to see when I jump into the message chain. And so similarly, if you're on your third year now, guess what? You just hopped, you know, 2024, you just hopped out of the time machine and, <laughs> and they want you to do them a favor. And that favor is to lay the foundation for a future relationship. I think that's probably the right approach. That's, that's what I'd think about. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's that, that's really. I, I didn't expect that answer from you, honestly, James. I would I would imagine, especially someone with such a you know vast online presence as you do, <laughs> to sort of just say flattery, Dean, flattery, love it, love it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Well, if anyone's asking, twenty twenty four, Dean, twenty twenty four, get at me for the for the Brisbane office. Get you in, do it. Um, I guess, and leading off that sort of mm. what's that what would be your last and you touched on this for the recent piece of your content yes what would be your last sort of piece of advice quick piece of mm. advice you would give to someone who's just started law school this year yeah yeah look they call that a leading question dean so 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 maybe maybe uh maybe going to the bar is for you <laughs> um uh this is this is a, a piece of advice that was passed on to me uh, 12 years ago um, and that I was happy to pass on in a recent post, Dean, that you and I have discussed. And that advice is don't fuck up the same way twice. And I think it's really good advice because 
Well, sorry. Firstly, I like the way it's phrased because when you put a swear word in things, people pay more attention and I'm sorry, that's life. Um, but I think I like the empathy of it because it acknowledges that goofs, stuff ups, errors, mistakes will certainly happen. Dean, you're going to make heaps. I am going to make heaps. We all are. And especially in those early years of practice and especially in those early months, you will have the moment where your stomach feels like it's going to just fall out of your body and sink through the floor. Um, and you're going to have to go to the bathroom and you just need to get there really, really fast because you're about to cry in front of everyone and you're not going to cry in front of everyone at the office. You're just going to get there and close the cubicle and just compose yourself. And it is almost certainly going to happen. I think I cried in the office oh, probably only three or four times in my first six months from like constructive feedback and it'll happen. And you will have that that pit of your stomach torture and, and, and it's the worst. And what you must do having made that fuck up is not do it the same way twice. And so as the years and awful experiences pile up, if you're ensuring that errors don't happen in the same way again and again, what you're actually doing is you're building a skill set that is formidable because every time you make a mistake, it's a box ticked and you'll never make it again. And so you go and make another mistake. Oh, okay, cool. That was a fresh one, but I'm not going to make that again. And so as you progress through these, you know, these tough early years, and it's, you know, it's no joke as a profession, Dean, like you'd have your hand on data that I don't have my hand on, but, you know, it's no joke getting through the first few years, I, I expect is what the data show. Um, and if you can cling to each mistake each goof, each stuff up, each fuck up being an opportunity for you to be a better lawyer on the other side, then that's quite a, firstly quite a healthy mindset. It'll stop you dwelling on things. You'll be like, yeah, okay, let's go. Let's not do that again. And secondly, you'll have a bit of empathy for everyone in the profession where, look, the more senior you get, it just feels like the bigger your fuck ups or the more important they are. So there's an element where it's advice I continue to draw value from today um, and I think it's just worth bearing in mind that everyone, even those very scary lawyers with lots and lots of experience, you, you know, there are times when they stuttered and pronounced their own name wrong during their first court appearance and, you know, went into a coughing fit and couldn't compose themselves. Like it, it has literally happened to everyone. And so I think there's a nice sort of intergenerational empathy there to be like, even those, yeah, even those big, scary, experienced lawyers uh, have all had horrifically scary, challenging moments and they didn't make the same mistakes again and so they emerged on the other side of it. And it's advice that I'm pleased to pass on and would commend to anyone uh, in, in large part because it's not my own advice. So I'm allowed to say it's very good advice because <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> um, but I think it's really, really valuable as a way to approach the law. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic and I think, the way you just described it, then it's it's just the piece of advice is essentially, you know, learn from your mistakes. But it's so true, the way it's phrased just makes it that much more to get in. <laughs> just, yep, 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 yep. So insert swear words in your submissions is uh, is gonna be advice in about ten or twelve years. I think we'll start it will start we'll start using them for emphasis. It'll be good, it'll be handy. It's coming. 
Well, fantastic. Well, James, I thank you enormously for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your honesty with me and I think all of our listeners will as well and get some real good, solid, concrete tips um, from this chat. So I thank you very much for that. Dean, you're very, very welcome. Great, great fun. Appreciate you having me. Shout out to Gulls. (laughs) And um, thank you, everyone, for listening and we'll see you next time on the Law Student Podcast.